This summer, we are working our way through one of the New Testament letters. Uh, That letter is called Galatians, uh, written by the Apostle Paul to uh, the church in Galatia. Uh, If you're wondering where Galatia uh, was, um, Galatia was a Roman province in Asia Minor. So think modern-day Turkey, uh, if you're familiar with that geography. But that gives you some sense of where Galatians uh, was. And As we've been um, moving our way through this letter, what we have identified as the main theme is this, that um, the question kind of uh, in the background of this book, and and it's not really in the background, it's uh, right up uh, out front for us, the question is, how do Gentiles, how how are they included in the life of the church? So let let me just unpack that for you uh, briefly. So by Gentiles, what is meant is non-Jewish people, because the Christian movement, the Christian faith uh, from the beginning um, was a a Jewish movement. It came out of Judaism. And so um, as the Christian uh, message began to uh, make its way to people who weren't Jewish, uh, there was a tension, a dilemma, uh, a question that arose on what basis are they included in the life of the church? In other words, must they become Jewish in certain ways? Must they follow Jewish customs? And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, um, from the time that he went to Galatia and spent time with these people, he uh, proclaimed a message that emphasized that um, we find favor with God uh, based solely on what Jesus has done for us. There's nothing to add to that. It's simply faith in what Jesus has done for us. But There was a group in Galatia that was beginning to um, disseminate a message that was different. And what they said was that Jesus is important. You have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to adopt all of these Jewish customs. And so Paul writes to say no. He he says no, and he wants to call these uh, young Christians out of danger, um, out of spiritual slavery into freedom. And so this morning, we are uh, getting into chapter 4. We're going to look at the first 20 verses of Galatians chapter 4. And if you look at the worship guide, the title of the sermon is The Heart of Christian Formation. Uh, If uh, these kinds of things matter to you, uh, that is no longer uh, my working title. It's actually The Uniqueness of Christian Spirituality. Um, I tell you that just to tell you, but it probably doesn't matter to you, um, but you know anyway. So let me go ahead and uh, read the first 20 verses of chapter 4, and then I'll pray, and then we'll start to work our way through it. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children... We're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, 
or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have, may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's uh, pray and ask for God to teach us this morning. Father, our prayer is that you would teach us from your word. Um, We don't want to just learn information. Uh, We want to be transformed. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to be active uh, right now. Uh, Wherever we find ourselves um, when it comes to the Christian faith, we pray that you would highlight the truth for us and that you would draw us into that truth in a very personal and real way so that we might be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder if you've ever had an experience um, in which you've, you're faced with two choices. You have two options. And maybe there's a voice or multiple voice that, that are speaking into your, your dilemma, in, into the decision that you have. And you, you really don't know which way to go. But there's one voice, a voice that is particularly meaningful to you a voice that um, is affectionate to you. And the reason this is so is because you have had an in-depth relationship with this person for quite some time. Um, You have received love and care from this person, and so you know that they have your best interest in mind. Well, that gives you a little bit of kind of an idea of where we find ourselves here in Galatians 4. Uh, these Christians, these followers of Jesus in Galatia are faced with a decision. And we could put it in in these simple terms. The decision before them, the choice before them is spiritual freedom or spiritual slavery. Spiritual freedom or spiritual slavery. And on the one hand, on the spiritual slavery side, we have a group of people that we've referred to as the Judaizers. Uh, Let me clarify, I did not make that term up. Um, That's a term that has just kind of uh, emerged from uh, the study of the Bible over many years. Um, But it refers to this group in Galatia that was making their way into the churches. And as I said, um, when I set up the passage, they were telling people that, yes, Jesus is important as part of the equation. You must have faith in Jesus. But actually, you have to adopt all of these Jewish customs as well. You basically have to become Jewish. And according to Paul, that is spiritual slavery. The spiritual freedom side, 
the voice speaking into that is the Apostle Paul. And I'm sure that you picked up on it as I read the passage, that um, Paul speaks affectionately here. It's like last week we talked about Paul as the master teacher. Remember that if you were here? Um, We talked about um, how he anticipates questions and he addresses those questions before they even need to be asked. Um, And there was something else that he did in last week's passage that we said pointed pointed to the fact that he's a good teacher. But this week, it's like he he takes a break from teacher mode, um, especially when when he gets to, to maybe verse 12 or so in the passage. He takes a break from teacher mode, and he enters into friend mode. And, and, and his care, you, 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 you can't help but to notice his care for these people. And so how, the, the way that I want us to look at this passage this morning is I, I want us to, to um, we're going to do something a little unique and different. We're actually going to begin with the end of the passage when we start to get into it here. But what we're going to be doing is we're going to be really dissecting this choice, analyzing this choice between spiritual freedom and spiritual slavery. And so I want to talk first about the goal of Christian spirituality. Um, We're going to talk about the goal of Christian spirituality and the heart of Christian spirituality. The goal of Christian spirituality, to learn what this goal is, I want us to look to the end of the passage to start. Uh, that section of verses 12 through 20. As I said here, we really see Paul's heart for the Galatians. We see his pastoral heart. He's agging, agonizing over them. Right before this section, um, he had said, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I mean, th- Paul's emotions here are intense. Uh, he's worked up. And, and we've seen this uh, from the beginning of the letter. He is really concerned for these people. He's concerned because um, the, the, making the choice to go with the voices of this other group will lead to their spiritual destruction. The spiritual slavery will lead to spiritual destruction. And so Paul takes this break from teacher mode. He stops talking theology, and he just he gets real personal with them. I mean, imagine him, you know, like a studious teacher, maybe with glasses. He takes the glasses off. And maybe he gets out of the chair and he comes close to the students because that's what it requires at this point. He needs to be near to them through the writing of this letter. He wants them to know his heart, and so he appeals to friendship. Uh, he, He says, if you look at verse 12, he says, Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. What Paul's referring to here is, that he himself at this point, uh, even as a Jewish person, was no longer living under um, all of the law, um, the the ceremonial and the civil law that we've been talking about. He's no longer living under that. And and, uh, the irony here is that these Galatians, these non-Jewish people, are facing the temptation to actually place themselves under the law in this way. And Paul's, Paul's basically like, man, I'm Jewish and I'm telling you that I don't even have to do that any longer. So why would you as a non-Jewish person feel obligated to have to live under the law in this way? So he had become like the Galatians in that he did not live under the law. And now he's saying, be like me, I'm not living under the law. So what he then goes, starts referring to is his common experience with them. Um, You know, we, we do this all the time in life. What is a way in which we bond with or uh, deepen the bonds that we have with people. Maybe it's through telling shared stories. Um, do you have that, 
group of family or group of friends in which you tell the same stories all the time. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, you, you, you refer back to the past. Remember when this happened? And yes, we, the last time we were together, we talked about this story, but it deepens our bond. Shared experiences deepen bonds. And so Paul starts talking about this shared experience that he's had with the Galatians. And we learn from this that when Paul originally went to Galatia, he was in bad shape. He had some kind of ailment. Uh, we don't know what that ailment was. Uh, we were not given any details about it, but he was in pretty bad shape. And he affirms how the Galatians welcomed him, how they received him, how they took him in, how they cared for him. He's reminding them of relationship. And what Paul wants to know is, what has gone wrong? Why are you now possibly hearing my voice as a threat? Like, why are you opposing my voice? Remember our relationship. You don't have this kind of relationship with the Judaizers, this group. We have a relationship. You know me. I know you. And you know I have your best interest in mind. So hear my words in that context. The false teachers were apparently flattering the Galatians. Um, but Paul says, be mindful here, be weary. Because yes, they might be flattering you, but really in the end, what's going to happen is you are going to be shut out. Because you are going to be placed under the requirements and demands of the Jewish law, and you as a non-Jewish person are not going to be able to follow them all. And you are going to end up in a place of spiritual slavery. And what's going to happen is that uh, I guarantee you, you will end up not actually being accepted in the community. And so, yes, they might be flattering you here um, in the moment. But be aware that in the end, you will find yourself shut out. And then we uh, get to this expression from Paul um, where his heart really just begins to to overflow in verse 19. He refers to them as his little children. That, that, that gives us an idea of the love that he has for them. Um, and he talks about the anguish that, that he's feeling over this and the situation that they're in. And he talks about basically longing for Christ to be formed in them. And here we arrive at the goal of Christian spirituality. The goal of Christian spirituality is Christ formed in us, Christ-likeness. Now, this is remarkable. This is remarkable because of how incredibly personal it is. God is personal, um, and he uh, displayed just how personal he is by entering into the world in the very person of Jesus Christ. And here we discover that the goal of Christian spirituality is to have uh, Christ formed in us, to have his very person formed in us so that in many ways we might become like him, that we might receive what is his. And that's a major theme here, that we might actually receive what is his. So the goal of Christian spirituality is to be formed in Christ, to have Christ formed in us. Now, with that um, kind of laid as groundwork, now let's talk about um, the heart of Christian spirituality. So the goal of Christian spirituality is Christ formed in us. Now we're going to spend the most time talking about the heart of 
Christian spirituality. And now we're going to go to the beginning of the passage. I know it's a little strange the order that we're doing this in, but I just felt like uh, getting the context of the second part would be helpful. So Paul begins with an illustration. Uh, That was the other thing we said last week about uh, what identified Paul as a good teacher, that he uses illustrations, uh, and he's doing it here. Uh, He begins with an illustration to help us see the choice that we have. And again, that choice is between spiritual freedom and spiritual slavery. And in this illustration, he wants us to think about a son who is in line to inherit his father's wealth. But because the son is not yet old enough, the inheritance is not actually yet his. So in Paul's day, the the process of coming of age was a well-defined process. Uh, A child heir was um, under a guardian until uh, typically age 14. And then even at that point, uh, the, the son was under managers or trustees until about the age of 25. And it wasn't until that point then the child was free to exercise control over the inheritance over the estate. What, why is Paul using this illustration? Where is he going with this? Well, his argument um, is that when an heir is a minor and too young to receive the inheritance, he might as well be a slave because he is not yet in possession of the inheritance. The child is in principle wealthy, but in practice or experience of it, not so, right? Uh, he, he, um, somebody commenting on this passage said it this way, that he had a wealth that was his by promise, but not his yet by experience. So it was his by promise, but not yet by experience. Verse 3. Here's where we learn where Paul's heading with all of this. In the same way we also. There it is. Now we're starting to be drawn into Paul's argument. So he's made this argument. You know, Imagine this situation of a son who is not yet old enough to receive the inheritance. In effect, he's still basically... Um, a slave, in the same way as that. So keep that illustration in mind. We too used to be under a form of slavery. We were not of age, so to speak. We had not reached a a mature age or season. He's saying that this, in a sense, was the situation of the people, particularly in the Old Testament, who were living under Law And by law, we do not mean moral law. We've been pointing that out uh, throughout this series. But specifically what is in view here are things that we would talk about as the ceremonial and civil laws of the Old Testament that were unique to Israel at a time in history in the biblical story. But Paul is saying that there's a sense in which um, that this was true of them, that, that this illustration that he's used, that could be used to describe the people in the Old Testament. And then he uses this weird phrase, weird for us, um, enslaved to the elementary principles of the word, world. Now, there's a lot of discussion and argument about what this means, and we could get really technical with it, um, but I'm not going to do that for your sake. Um, but what Paul is ultimately referring to is these principles of some kind that the Galatians used to live by. And what's interesting about this argument is he's saying this, and this is where it might be really surprising, is that even though the Galatians weren't living under the Jewish law, obviously, they were living um, according to pagan religions or whatever it may have been, um, 
The principles that they were living under or by actually in many ways were the same principles that many people um, live by when they're trying to live according to the law to gain God's favor and acceptance. So religion can be very similar to non-religion. This is, this is interesting. And it's not the first time that we've encountered this kind of thinking um, in, in the letter. And here's how we could say it, that both groups, so a religious group on the one hand, non-religious group possibly on the other hand, both groups can live by some kind of legalistic, self-driven system. So that's what, what, that's what Paul is, is saying here. And for the Jewish people, it was during the Mosaic area. They had spiritual liberty promised to them, but they did not yet possess it. It wasn't theirs yet. Um, in verse 10, Paul kind of gives us an example of the type of thing that he's talking about. He refers to days and months and seasons and years. All of these are part of the, the ceremonial laws of the, the Old Testament. And let's clarify something. Paul's not saying that festivals, special occasions um, in and of themselves are bad, but when we adopt them as part of the system that we're using to try to present ourselves as good, as in, as accepted, and to find favor with God, then it is problematic. And that's what Paul has in mind here. When we do that, when people do that, we are clouding what Paul has been trying to communicate throughout this letter, justification by faith alone. How are we made right with God? Not based on the things that we do, but based on our faith in Christ. And so to insist that someone must keep certain festivals or occasions or practices to really be accepted with God, that's problematic. That's what Paul would say is spiritual slavery. Now, this is a common experience for all of us as people living in a fallen world. Let me put it in a way that might help you relate to we are all trying to find our way. We're all trying to make our way in a variety of ways. We're all trying to find justification. We've been talking about this. We're all trying to find what will help us to feel right in life, to be told that we're right. We're looking for this. We're trying to carve out acceptance in the world. We're trying to carve out belonging in the world. And we all do this trying to live up to whatever standard or standards that we are living by, whether they are religious or not. But this is a common experience for all of us. And let me say this. I want to just practically help you think about this. This approach to life is exhausting. It's exhausting. Now, it's funny because this is the kind of default approach that we all go by as fallen people. We recognize that there's something wrong with us, that there's something wrong in the world, and so we work, go through life trying to figure out what makes us right, what makes the world right. But this is exhausting, and we've kind of noted along the way that it leads to at least one of two things. On the one hand, anxiety, always wondering, is it enough? Is my performance enough? Am I really meeting the standard. Or it leads to pride. 
leads to pride in that we maybe, in certain areas at least, feel like, oh, I'm doing really well meeting the standard, at least in these areas right now, and so-and-so over here, not so much, and so we elevate ourselves. We make ourselves feel better. In other words, we are justifying ourselves in comparison to other people. And so this is what really Paul is referring to as the elementary spirits of the world, living under this legalistic, really demonic approach to life in which we feel like as human beings, it is up to us to make us right. Verse 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In other words, when the time was right in history, when the time was right in God's story, he actually entered the story himself. And what did he do? Well, Paul highlights two things, redemption and adoption. Redemption and adoption. And we're going to look at these um, here in our remaining time in a little more detail. Because I think that these two things, redemption and adoption, address our deepest problems and longings as people. We all sense that we are in need of redemption. I think if we're honest, um, we sense that. And we all long for acceptance and belonging as well. Let's talk about this word redeem. What does it mean to be redeemed from under the law? Well, it refers to the fact that through the work of Jesus, our penalty or debt is paid. It's lifted. And so what we have been accused of, in other words, our sin, we stand condemned before God because of um, our rebellion against relationship with him. Uh, We are under condemnation. But part of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus dies in our place and the debt has been paid. So we are no under longer under what we owe to the law in our inability to meet it and live up to God's good intentions for life. But we are also under it in that we, are, we struggle with this spiritual slavery that we've talked about and trying to make ourselves right, trying to live up to its, its standard. And so redemption really has to do with this idea of being bought back. So to be redeemed from under the law, God God buys us back. He he, he brings us back home. Um, He he claims us as his own. So we are no longer under um, the, the standard of trying to earn favor with him through the law, but we now receive favor through what Jesus has done for us. Adoption. This, uh, I think, is really important because sometimes what happens in Christianity is that we stop at redemption. And what I mean is that we, we stop with, all right, Jesus paid the price for our sins so that we can be free. Our debt is paid. We no longer have to carry that burden around. But the gospel does not stop there. The gospel actually really begins there. Listen to what Paul said after he says that we're redeemed from under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. So in the Greco-Roman world, how this worked was that there was a legal process in which a childless, wealthy man could take one of his servants and 
adopt him. And when that occurred, he was no longer a slave, and he received all the financial and legal privileges within the estate and outside in the world as the son and heir. Though by birth and nature he was a slave without relationship with the father, he now suddenly receives the legal status of a son. This is the the metaphor that Paul is using. And we talked last week about, well, why is it not sons and daughters here? This is actually radical what Paul is doing because this would not have applied to to, uh, women or daughters in ancient time. And so what Paul is ultimately saying here is that women and daughters are included in this, that this is this radical thing that God is doing, that in a sense, they too receive sonship. They too receive the inheritance. And this would not have... um, This would have struck the original audience as they were hearing the letter read uh, in Galatia. Because you are sons. This is identity. That's what Paul is getting at here. He's talking about who we actually are. And we come to age, so to speak, as people, as Christians, when we receive this inheritance, when we receive the Holy Spirit, the promised uh, spirit of the son. And it's beautiful how what, what Paul says in verse 6, um, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. I think that what we see here is that both intimacy and freedom are highlighted. What is a, a sign of freedom? It, it's actually intimacy with God. Because here, Paul is saying that we now, because if we've trusted Christ, if we are in Christ and we have the Spirit, we can now cry out, Abba, Father, which literally means uh, Daddy or, or, or Papa, you could say. That is the kind of intimacy Paul is saying that we now have with God because of the work of, of Christ and the Spirit being in us. Now, what I want you to see here is how different this is from other forms of spirituality. And however you want to put it, Paul refers to it as the elemental spirits of the world. Um, You could put it in your own terms. But I, I want you to see how different all other spiritualities and approaches are to Christian spirituality. And the difference is really highlighted in um, these two uh, phrases. Grace... Uh, centered formation and self-centered formation. Grace-centered formation and self-centered formation. Grace-centered formation is what Paul is talking about. That we find favor with God solely, completely uh, based on what Jesus has done for us. His performance, not our own. Self-centered formation is us trying to earn God's favor. Or if it's not God, it's, trying, it's us trying to meet the standards of life that we have identified. It's self-driven, and it leads to slavery, and it leads to anxiety or a pride like we've, we've talked about. And Paul adds a, a, another uh, detail here in verse 9. If you go down to verse 9, so he says, well, first of all, in verse 8, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by, the, by nature are not gods. And so this is really the idea of idolatry. Now, when we think of idolatry, we think maybe of worshiping physical shrines or, or things like that. But what the Bible means by idolatry is elevating things above God and building our identity and our meaning around them. 
And what Paul is saying is that they actually aren't gods. We elevate them to the level of God, but they actually are not God. But then he talks about the real God. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by him. This really is the heart of Christian spirituality. You see, in other, the other spiritualities, others' approaches to life, like we said, they're self-centered, self-driven. It's not about intimacy. It's not about relationship. It's not about being known. And that, that's a funny thing if you think about it, because deep down inside, what is it that we all want more than anything else? We want to be known. Now, don't get me wrong. That freaks us out at the same time, doesn't it? Like, it's the kind of thing where we want to be known, but we don't want to be known. But we want to be known in the sense that there could be somebody that could know us thoroughly, know us completely, know us intimately, um, know us truly, and yet still stay with us, still love us, still allow us to belong in their presence. There is no opportunity for that in spiritualities outside of Christianity. Because it's not focused on intimacy and relationship. It's focused on what we must do to meet the standard. And this is why Paul is pouring his heart out for the Galatians. He's saying, I want you to see how utterly different this is. This is is life and death. This is slavery and freedom. We're not talking about the same thing. They're utterly different. Please come out of that and come back home to the heart of Christian, true Christian spirituality. And so the question that we can ask ourselves is this. What choice are we going to make? And let's make it real. Let's make it practical. Um, tomorrow morning, when we wake up to begin a new week, what choice are we going to make? Are we going to choose grace-centered formation and freedom, or are we going to choose self-centered formation and slavery? Now, I know that framing the question that way, it sounds like, well, of course, I'm going to choose the first, but in reality, it is difficult. And so how do we choose the grace-centered formation option um, and not the self-centered formation option? comes down to this, being known by God. The focus, again, and it's it's cool how Paul says it in the letter. He he says, talks about knowing God, then he backs up and says, well, wait a second, actually more accurately, we should talk about being known by God. And so how are you on a daily basis going to choose freedom over slavery? Resting, by resting in the fact that you are known by God. And that because you are known by him, you know him. And so what we're talking about is intimacy. We're talking about relationship. And freedom flows from that. Did you see what's happening here? Remember, the goal of Christian spirituality is Christ formed in us. And then we we took the step back to look at the heart of Christian spirituality. The heart of Christian spirituality is essentially that we trust in Christ And through trusting in him, everything that is true of him in the eyes of God the Father becomes true of us. And so there's a a complete change of identity. 
we receive the record and reputation of Jesus. Christ is formed in us. And then so how do we on a daily basis choose um, spiritual freedom over spiritual slavery? By resting in who we actually are. We are in Christ. We have the Spirit to assure us of that. And so we don't focus on what we must do necessarily. We focus on being known by God and knowing Him. We focus on cultivating intimacy and relationship with Him. And so, which will you choose? Will you choose the path of spiritual slavery and trying to carve, live by a spirituality in which it's all up to you to make yourself feel good and validated in the world and it doesn't work? Or will you choose the path of freedom? Freedom in the gospel. Freedom in being known by God and knowing him and belonging because of his love. Let's pray. Father, we admit that this is hard for us because we want to do, we want to perform. We kind of want it to be all up to us. And it's hard for us to just simply rest in your deep abiding love for us because it's scary. It's scary because... We know ourselves truly, and we have a hard time believing that you actually can know us truly and yet still accept us in Christ. I I pray that you would shine the light of the gospel into our hearts. Your spirit is in us as your people, so assure us of your love and the belonging that we have, even while being known truly by you. And I, I pray for those in our midst this morning who are outside of relationship with you and are maybe feeling exhausted uh, by trying to meet the standards of life, whatever they might be. Um, We pray that you would, um, by the power of your spirit, breathe life into them, clarify the gospel. We pray that you would give them too, through faith, an assurance of your love and acceptance because of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.